Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Hey, good morning, church. How are all you doing this morning? Come on. I heard that this was the energetic service. Is that true? Amen. Amen. Well, it's just such a privilege for me to be here at Stevens Creek Church. Um, and it's such a privilege to be with all of you at the Grovetown campus and the South Augusta campus. Uh, I am just so honored to be here. Uh, pastor Marty Baker is just such a phenomenal pastor. And so I'm just so grateful for him for allowing me to share this pulpit with him uh, just this week. And again, I'm just so excited to be with all of you. Now, there's a lot I want to cover today. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to just give one little nugget right here. And it's just a little bit of my heart right now. But there's just a passage of scripture that I have just been deep in just chewing on a lot lately, and that's Isaiah chapter 27. In Isaiah, uh, God speaks to his people, and this is what he says. He says, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it. I want you to get those two words deep in your heart this morning. Every moment I water it. I work with these orphanages all around the world, and we've got a lot of these sustainability farms where we're, we've got all this different agricultural stuff going on. And, 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 and I know that you can water something too much and it'll kill it. You can water something not enough and it'll kill it. But God says every single moment I water it. Not just water it in the morning, not just water it in the evening. Every single moment I water it. What we often do so many times is we try to compartmentalize God into just these few little spaces. And I don't want to do that this morning. Now, I've got a word that I want to share with you. I've got testimonies that I want to share with you. But I don't want to box God into those moments. Now, I just know that one moment with God, one anointed moment with him can change your life more than a thousand sermons. You look at the sermon Jesus preached to Peter, he just said, drop your nets and follow me. That was a really short, simple message. It changed his life. This morning I'm praying and believing not only for your life, but also for my life, that I would just have an anointed moment with him that I would be changed. So if you could just pray with me, Jesus, in these next few moments that we have together, I ask that you would just come and inhabit this place. God, may it not just be my words that are speaking, but God, may some way, somehow, God, you work through me, God, that we might be changed to look more like you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, church. Let me just introduce myself. My name's Coleman Bailey. Uh, I'm a Georgia boy now. Amen. Amen. Come on now. Who we got from South Carolina? Okay, you guys can leave. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm from Georgia. I'm from a, a little place called Griffin. Who knows where Griffin's at? 
Amen. That's Middle South. Not a lot of people know where Griffin's at. It's a small little place just south of Atlanta. Let me just tell you this. I was raised on uh, about 75 acres with uh, some cattle. And so in middle to South Georgia, so I'm a little bit more of a redneck than I think some of the people here. Uh, I was on my way to church this morning and I was just uh, practicing my speech. Uh, not my, my sermon necessarily, but my actual words. I was, I was making sure to say creek, creek, creek. You see, where I'm from, we say crick, C-R-I-K, crick. I didn't want to get up here and look like an idiot saying Stevens Crick. <laughs> so good to be at Stevens Crick this morning. No, <laughs> but I'm from a little town uh, just south of Atlanta. Uh, growing up, my biggest absolute biggest dream in life was just to move to the other side of Atlanta, get in those North Georgia mountains, do a little bit of trout fishing. Uh, Amen. Yeah. Come on. The front right here is alive. But uh, (laughs) I went to college, uh, graduated from college. And by the time I graduated from college, I had maybe 1% faith. I went to Lee University. Uh, This is, Lee was great for me. It gave, it took me from 0% faith to 1% faith. Uh, (laughs) But uh, I I graduated from Lee University, and I can remember uh, having a couple of beliefs, not believing that God interacted with this world. I didn't believe in that. I believed in God. I just didn't believe he interacted. I didn't believe God answered prayers. I didn't believe so many other things about God. And uh, I had gotten accepted in some good graduate programs, uh, got some great scholarships. I was planning on jumping into one of those. I had some great opportunities, but those opportunities kind of made me a little nervous. So what I did was I just deferred a year. I canceled my enrollment for that year, took on the scholarships for the next year. I didn't know what I was going to be doing in that year and uh, came across a guy at a Starbucks who had just traveled through Asia. And in that conversation, he made a very passing comment about street kids in in Kathmandu, Nepal. And I don't know why, but it stuck with me. And about a week later, I bought a one-way plane ticket to Kathmandu, Nepal, uh, in my mind, to go help street children out. Uh, Now, if any of you are feeling the call to missions, this is not the way to do it. I bought a one-way plane ticket there. I didn't go over there with an organization. I didn't have anyone. I didn't know anybody there. Uh, there was absolutely nothing. This is a very stupid idea. Do not do this. I can remember I got uh, out of the airport and just how unprepared I was. I got out of the airport. I had my backpack on, and I stood there in shock for two and a half hours. I had no clue where I was going to be sleeping that night, and I didn't even think to prepare for that. So um, don't do it like that. Uh, But I can remember even when I was going over there, I had this mindset uh, that I didn't want to share the gospel with any of these children that I would be working with. Uh, In my mind at that time, if I was going to be sharing the gospel, is me imperializing my Christian culture on uh, another uh, religion and another society. I didn't want to do that. I had these lofty ideas. But uh, I went there, and I can remember uh, every single day, it wasn't hard to find street kids. They were everywhere. And every single day, I would go out, and I would just try to help these street children out. Now, I have no ministry background. I've got no organizational leadership background, nothing. And so every single day that I would go out and I would try to help these children out, I would just absolutely fail. 
And I wouldn't just fail. I would fail in the most humiliating way possible. I had dinner with uh, Sarah and Drew last night, and we were sharing some of these stories. But I would just fail, and I wouldn't only fail, I'd fail miserably. I can remember I was there for about three, four months, and in this time, I was completely alone. I never saw any other Westerners, never saw anybody, and so I'm just alone. And so at this time, I had started reading this book a little bit more, and this book started to agitate me right here. I can remember I tried to get this feeding program going a third or fourth time, and it built up a lot of momentum, and then the whole feeding program just collapsed. And I can remember being so angry. I went to God in prayer, and I prayed like this. I said, God, I've been reading your book, the word right here, and I can see that where you are a God of the fatherless, you take a special interest in the fatherless. I said, but God, I've flown all the way around the world. I'm sitting here. I'm always sick. I'm, I'm, I'm lonely over here, and I'm just trying to help these kids out. I know that I'm an idiot, but God, I feel like you would use an idiot to help these kids out if you really cared about them. And then I, my prayer kind of turned. I said, God, I feel like the reason why these kids aren't getting taken care of is because you don't want them taken care of. You want them to suffer, yada, yada, yada. And in that moment, I felt like God spoke to me, and this is what he said. He said, Coleman, you're treating children like cattle. Now, for me, I was raised around cows. The imagery made a lot of sense. Coleman, all you care about for these children is if they get enough food and clean water. That's all you care about with a cow. Coleman, you just want to bring them through your little feeding trough and send them on your way. Coleman, you don't know how to love children. And it gripped my heart. I said, God, you're completely right. I remember I was reading through the book of John. I remember just praying back to God and just saying, God, I read in the book of John and I see your love and I see that your love, it is so much different than anything I've ever seen. It's almost like we just need completely different words to talk about your love. I said, but whenever I go out on the streets and I interact with these children, I give them the very best of Coleman Bailey's love, and that is just absolutely nothing compared to your love. So in that moment, I completely changed what I was trying to do. I stopped trying to do any kind of feeding programs or anything like that, and this is not a joke. Every single day, I would just wake up, and I'd get on my knees, and I would just pray, and I would say for probably two, three hours, I'd say, God, I don't know how to love God, please, please, please teach my heart how to love. I want to love like you love, God. I want to feel what you feel. God, you've got emotions for these kids. I want to feel those emotions. When I look at these kids, I want to see them through your eyes. Over the course of about a month, God completely rewired every single bit of my DNA. If you know me my entire life, you can clearly see that. God completely changed every bit of my life over the course of a month. Again, I still had a little bit of faith. I was just working and growing my faith. I can remember one evening I had always was having these little these street kids come in and out of my house. I lived in this little four-walled room, bathroom outside. I slept on a little mat on the floor about that thick. These guys were always in and out of my house. I remember one evening it was a Thursday evening. There was a lot of guys in my house, and a few of them had left. There's about four remaining. And, uh, and just, it was late. I said, guys, do you ever have any questions about Jesus? Now, remember, I never shared the gospel with these kids. I, I thought that was a bad thing to do. 
never wanted to share the gospel with them. And one of them raises his hand. And he says, yeah. He's got real bad English. So this is how he says it. He goes, um, a couple weeks ago, over the past couple weeks, every single time I'm around you, I feel something. I feel this. I feel this right now. What is this? Does this have anything to do with Jesus? Another boy says, yeah, I'm feeling the same thing. What is this? I can remember I was in a horrible mood that day. I was really annoyed at somebody. I wasn't feeling this. (laughs) And so I was getting real angry. I just began to give them an explanation of the gospel in the most basic, mundane, terse, boring way you could ever imagine. Just a very basic explanation of the gospel. And as I'm doing this, they not only begin to cry, they are weeping. I lead them in the sinner's prayer. Three out of the four of them that night give their heart to Christ. And after that, just boom, one after another, gave their heart to Jesus Christ. It was amazing. And the thing that blew my mind was something that you probably know very well, that I didn't know very well, but that the gospel changes every single thing about somebody's life. I've been trying to get these kids to get motivated about health care, about education, and, and about getting off the streets. None of that worked, but I saw just one encounter with Jesus Christ that just naturally changed everything. The gospel changes everything. My work with street kids, it naturally led me doing to work with orphanages. I was doing simple things in a lot of different orphanages just to improve the livelihood of the children there. Started doing that in uh, Nepal, Sri Lanka, India, all over the place. Uh, Was doing it a lot in, in tandem with an organization called Serving Orphans Worldwide, which is where I serve today, Serving Orphans Worldwide. Uh, And then... uh, Years later, I, I went to um, Africa for the first time. A lot of stories there I'm not going to share. We launched an orphanage in Nairobi. It's got 68 kids in it today. Most of them are girls who've been rescued out of forced childhood marriage where they got married off between the ages of 8 and 11. We launched another ministry there uh, that's uh, been created to take care of girls who get pregnant between the ages of 11 and 14. Most of those are rape uh, cases. We've got 20 girls there with 21 babies. One of them had twins. I went over to DR Congo. DR Congo's got a massive war going on. It has for years. And there was a building there. I think we've got a photo of it. This is after we had invested some money into it. But this building right here that we had, uh, there was, at the time, there was no plumbing, no electrical, uh, hardly any windows. It had no doors. It had no nothing, just rough concrete floors. It it was barely anything. And I had $2,000 to my entire name. That's it. And I began to just pray with some local people, and we said, okay, God, what are you doing? What do you want to do here? And we said, let's take a massive step of faith and launch an orphanage here with $2,000. That's really tricky. It's a big gamble. And uh, we began to pray, and there were so many children who had been affected by the war living in the city of Goma. And as we began to pray, we began to say, okay, which children do we take into this orphanage? Which 15 children do we start this orphanage with out of the hundreds? We began to pray. I felt like God was calling us to work with the children who did not have an opportunity at survival. And so what that meant was that we were supposed to go into the jungles. 
We went out deep into the jungles. We, there were so many life-threatening situations I could tell you about. Uh, I was having blankets over my head, hiding in the backs of vehicles at times. Uh, there was a time where my best friend over there, a uh, Congolese guy, he stuck his face in his hands. And I said, what's wrong? He said, I'm never going to see my son again. But God empowered us to rescue 15 kids. And again, we didn't have any resources. But what we saw was God just do one miracle after another to provide for our kids. Uh, that was the building uh, uh, two and a half years ago. I want to show you what it looks like right now. It's a big transformation. Isn't that cool? I think what's even more impressive than buildings is this right here. It's the next photo. Look at that. That's 76 kids right there. Amen. Every single one of those children, when we brought them in, they had to, uh, they, they had to go to the hospital for about one to four weeks before they could come into the orphanage. Uh, they were on the brink of survival. I want to tell you just one quick story about one of them. Uh, there were two brothers named Jibu and Salamani. Uh, I think we've got a photo of them. I took that photo out deep in the jungle. Their mother had gotten abducted by one of these rebel groups and then killed. Uh, they had gotten uh, abandoned there. They were living in this little house uh, for about two weeks. Uh, a couple of uh, people gave them a little bit of food to nourish them. But by the time I got to them, I can remember picking up Jibu, the smaller boy, uh, and his body was just stiff. He couldn't move his legs or his arms. He was that hungry. I did not know if he was going to survive. We brought him in, and it was a little bit of a tense situation, even uh, with uh, Suleimani, the bigger boy, uh, their brothers. Uh, but they were on the brink of survival. And uh, one thing I love doing about this ministry is you can just see these kids grow up. They can develop. And so I just want to show you a photo of what these boys look like right now. Ain't that amazing? <laughs> That's so cute, right? Jibu couldn't walk for the longest time. He's walking now. Both of them had speech impediments, especially Jibu, just because of the trauma they encountered. Uh, they're both talking right now. They're doing amazing. Uh, for the past four years, I've been working a lot with uh, our orphanages in Ukraine. Serving Orphans Worldwide has been supporting orphanages in Ukraine for 20 years now. Uh, and I've been working with them directly for the last four years. Uh, I was in Ukraine the month of January. I was there three times last year. And I can remember just in January talking with all of our orphanages. I'm sure you can remember on the news, you were seeing this buildup of Russian soldiers. And I can remember just saying, okay, what are we going to do? If Russia does invade and we're developing all of these different plans uh, and then as you all are very aware of Russia did invade and I'll tell you it was just so much worse than our greatest nightmare it was terrible we had all these orphanages most of them in the east we didn't know if we could evacuate them I left Africa immediately came back to the States grabbed some USD because the banks weren't working over there and I got straight over there I was in Ukraine within a couple of days and I just want to show you the first thing I saw when I was crossing the border I think we've got a photo of that right here this is the first thing that I saw all of these people evacuating the country evacuating war this line went on for about three quarters of a mile I'm guessing there's about 15 20,000 people at this one border crossing alone trying to leave I feel like this one picture just encapsulates all of my emotions in that moment I felt completely overwhelmed I had no clue how we were gonna get our orphanages out I had no clue how we were gonna meet these needs we had staff that had gotten stuck in some sieged areas by Russia I had no clue how we were gonna help any of these people and then I saw this 
15, 20,000 people standing out in the freezing cold for 20 to 24 hours, all of them women and children, so many of them just in the absolute freezing cold, women nursing their mothers while waiting in line to leave the country. I had no clue what we were doing. But what we did was we just took one step of faith after another and just one little move of courage after another. And I just want to let you guys all know that over the last couple months, we've been able to evacuate all five of our orphanages to safety. All of them getting transitioned to Lithuania, Germany, uh, Spain. And not only that, but we were able to rescue four other orphanages like that. So we were able to move nine orphanages. That was a total of 340 children just from orphanages. That's not including the staff or anything else. 340 children. On top of that, we were running this huge refugee route where we were taking people from uh, the east, bringing them to the west, and then bringing supplies from the west to the east. We were able to move 5,000 people like that. With our orphanage buildings that we had evacuated the children from, we retrofitted those things uh, to be able to house refugees. At its peak, we were taking care of 600 people a night. I was just so impressed by what the church was able to accomplish with just a little bit of courage and just a little bit of boldness. I just saw God do so many amazing things over there. I can remember there was this one time we were moving one of the orphanages, the one from Mariupol. We were crossing the border into Poland. My mind is scattered on a thousand different things. And this little boy raises his hand. He says, hey, Coleman, um, I've got an idea. I said, what? And he said, "Uh, can we pray right now? I'm thinking, man, that's the last thing on my mind. Great idea. I said, Daniel, you're a lot more holy than me. So how about you lead us in this prayer? Daniel, he begins to pray, and I had someone translate it. This is literally how the prayer went. He said, God, I thank you so much. I never have to sleep in a bomb shelter again. God, I thank you so much that I never have to hear an air raid siren again. God, thank you so much I never have to pack up my bags in the middle of the night and flee from war. God, thank you so much I never have to worry about the roof caving in with a bomb. He went on and on and on. And then in a moment, his prayer turned. He said, but God, I understand that there's still children in Ukraine that sleep in bomb shelters. There's still children who are are fleeing in the middle of the night. There's still children who fear for their lives. There's still children who hear the nonstop sounds of air raid sirens. God, can you be with them? This morning, I'd ask that his prayer would become your prayer. God, we understand that that we don't have to sleep in bomb shelters, God, and we thank you for that, God. I thank you, Lord, that we could come and have church across three great campuses in peace today. But God, we pray for those children and those people who still sleep in bomb shelters. We ask that you would bring them peace. Saw God do some amazing things. You know, and I just felt this constant feeling that God had prepared us for this moment. He had prepared us for it. 
I look back at my life and I think about all the things that God did in my life in Congo and how he just prepared me for what we were doing with this work, with all of these experiences. And I was thinking about all these different relationships that God brought into my life where if I didn't meet this one person six months ago or this one person four years ago, these lives wouldn't have gotten changed right here, right then. God prepared me for this moment. And I was thinking even greater than that. I was thinking about how God had prepared me from the time I was a little baby for the life that I'm living right now. And I know that sounds super arrogant, but the reality is God has prepared every single one of you in that same capacity. I look back at my life and I see all of these different high moments, these different low moments. And I'm sure when you begin to think, you can start thinking these high moments in your life, these low moments in your life. And so often what we can do is we can think, okay, God, he's, he's present with us in the high moments and he's absent with us in the low moments. And nothing could be farther from the truth. God was with you in the high, God was with you in the low, and if you can just consecrate everything to God, he can use every single bit of it. Felt like in Ukraine we were just a rag getting everything squeezed out of us. God wants to use every single bit of your life to make an impact on somebody else's. I was talking with Sarah and Drew last night. They asked me this question. They said, Coleman, what's your biggest need right now? What's your biggest need right now? It's a common question. And six months ago, I would have answered that question a little bit differently than I would right now. Six months ago, I would have very eloquently said, in a very eloquent way, not in the way I'm about to say it, I'd say, I need your money. <laughs> I need your money. We need, to, we, need, we need to put food on kids' plates. We need to do all of this different stuff. It takes money to do that. And that's still a very real, real truth. But, but I think right now I just have to answer it a little bit differently. You see, I've just seen a lot of suffering over the last six months. A lot of suffering in DR Congo. A lot of suffering in Ukraine. And we've been able to help a lot of people out. We've been able to help a lot of children out. But there's just so many people that are just beyond our grasp. And I look at the world that we're living in, it just seems like it's just going off the rails at times. It seems like the country is getting further and further off the tracks. It seems like the world's getting further and further off the tracks. And what we just need is a church that's empowered by faith to make a difference. I can't help all the kids in Congo. I can't help all the kids in Augusta. God has empowered his church for such a time as this, though. In Romans 8, and something else, I think Romans 8 is probably the greatest chapter in all the Bible, but in Romans 8, it just goes over this overview of salvation. It talks about our lives being transformed, that we no longer have to live under the condemnation of sin, but we can live with life according to Christ. And then in Romans 8, verses 19, it says this, For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation waits. They wait with eager longing. I just feel like for the last six months, the only thing that I've been hearing in my ears is the longing of creation. And what is it longing for? It's longing for the revelation of the sons of God. It's longing for you. 
God's created every single one of you to meet a need that nobody else besides you can meet. God's calling you to live this life of faith. Just real quick, I just want to talk about faith for like two seconds, then we'll, we'll move on. But faith is something I think we misunderstand in the church all the time. We think faith is some kind of either magical superpower that some people have, some people don't. Other, others of us, we just think faith is just something that I can't understand about God. If, if, if God's doing something that I don't understand in the physical, then that's faith. And faith is nothing like that. Faith is just simply acting on the promises of God. It's placing your life in a position to where you operate in a way that you're not capable of by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the blood of Jesus Christ. I think the greatest illustration of faith in the, in the Bible is just Peter walking on the water. So many of you know this story. There's a storm. Peter sees something in the distance. He says, Jesus, if that's you, I'm coming. And what does he do? He steps out of the boat. Now, two things. One, if that wasn't Jesus, Peter would have sank immediately. So many people, we get faith wrong. We just think, I got to go and do something crazy. No, if Jesus is not there, you're going to sink. Faith only exists because Jesus exists. And the other thing is this, that that water did not become solid to Peter's feet until his toes touched it. So often in the church, I think what we're doing is we wait for the, the, the stormy waters to just become a sheet of glass for us to be able to walk on it. We wait for everything to get organized and everything to get real pretty. But Peter's, that water did not become solid to Peter's feet until he, he stepped out of the boat. You got to take a risk. You got to do something. You got to place yourself in a place where only God can move. It takes faith to do every little thing that we do as a church. So often we, we, we come to church and we just try to go through the routine of church. We do it without any faith, without ever living a life of faith, without ever getting out of the boat. Scripture says that faith must be in our lives. Hebrews eleven six 6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. In Luke 18, at the end of the parable of the persistent widow, Jesus says this. He says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith in the earth? God's not looking at anything else in your life than, than just this impartation of faith that you've got. I've got a lot more I want to say, not a lot of time. I want to share this with you, though. It takes faith to do anything that we do as a church. It takes faith to pray, and we can pray without faith. Praying with faith just simply believes that, it's believing that, that when I pray, God, God listens to me, and he, and he responds. That'll change the way you pray. You can, you can worship without faith. You can just sing songs. Or you can believe that you're worshiping with these angels in heaven who are just perpetually crying out, holy, holy, holy. You can worship with or without faith. Yeah, I told you that story about the boy saying, what is this? What is this? I can remember experiencing that in just real time and my jaw just dropping. What is going on? I did not know God could exist in that way. It blew my mind. But let me tell you what shocked me even more than, than him saying this. It was a 
the fact that in a moment God could use me. And in my whole life, I never believed that I was someone who was capable of being used by him. And in that moment, I felt like God just came down from heaven and just like a hammer, he picked me up and he used me as a tool just in a moment to make a difference on someone else's life. It blew my mind. And maybe you're in that same place today if you're just being honest with yourself. And let me just tell you this You're not just capable of making a difference on someone else's life. You're called to it. It's not just me. It's not just Pastor Marty. It's not just the pastoral staff. You here in this room. I don't know any of your names. I don't know any of your stories. I don't know anybody's names or stories at Grovetown or South Augusta. But I do know this, that God knit you together in your mother's womb and that he has designed you intricately and God has been with you in all of your experiences, life, the highs and the lows. And if you can just give it to him, he can use it, every bit of it. And there's a world that is waiting in eager expectation for you. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. It says, uh, Paul tells the church, uh, he says, examine yourself. I, I don't think we do a lot of that today. We're really good at examining things. We're all experts on the war in Ukraine on Facebook. I've seen it. <laughs> we're really good at examining things, but we're not really good at examining ourselves. Paul tells the church to examine yourself. This morning, I would ask you to do two things. And the first is this, to just invite the Holy Spirit to just examine your life. David writes in Psalms, he says, he says, search my heart, O God, see if there's any grievous or wicked way in me. That's a tough prayer to pray, but I would just invite you to pray that prayer this morning. Search my heart, O God, examine me. I wanna be like you, God. Scripture says, examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith, specifically through the lens of faith. I'd ask you to do two things this morning. One is just examine yourself, invite the Holy Spirit to examine you. But two, I would just ask yourself to just ask yourself this. What's one step of faith I can take this morning? Maybe God's not calling you to go to DR Congo. Maybe he is. God's not calling you to walk the walk that I have, but God's calling you to have a step of faith this morning. What's one step of faith you can do? Jesus, right now, I just ask that your spirit would come and you would reveal our hearts. God, I just ask up here, me personally, Lord, examine me, Father. God, search my heart, Lord, see if there's any wicked way in me. Now, God, I just ask that you would just begin to reveal to your people here, God, your purpose, your calling on their life. God, they're all made, God, to make a difference on somebody else's life. They're not just capable of that. They're called to it. And I ask that you would reveal one step of faith. God, and would your spirit come once more, God? Would you shake the foundations of hell in this world? Would you end this war in Ukraine? Would you end the war in Congo, God? And would you empower your church to bring peace to this earth?
In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.